I've got a riot involving a Christmassy beverage. I have a riot involving a Christmassy beverage. Great. Maybe it's not the same one. <laughs> Welcome to Date Fight. More datey than fighty this week as we've declared a Christmas truce on our usual scoring system. But it's the podcast where we take great moments from history and, well, sort of explore them in a cuddly way this week rather than pitting them against each other. He's Jake Yap. I'm Nat Tapley. And together we have selected from all of history two factual baubles which shall hang upon your brain tree. Brain tree in Essex. in Essex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. Well, it looks like we may have landed upon the same... Historical Perhaps, unless there moment. Is two eggnog riots. Possibly. It did have another name. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You can't say eggnog anymore, can you? No, you have to say resident of Easter Island. It's also called the Grog Mutiny, which I like. Yes, yes, that was good. So we tell them when it was? Well, uh, yes. When was it? 1826. That's right. At West Point. West Point. The famous military academy. And it sounds amazing because it, it took a long time to get going yeah. it? <laughs> it did and it's not much of a riot really. yeah so it seems quite low really it just doesn't stop i mean weirdly if you look at wikipedia i think there is a minute by minute breakdown of what happened someone's really gone into detail with what happened it is like, astonishing the moment the eggnog arrives yeah. at the at west point what is basically a sort of drunk frat yeah. party <laughs> essentially that's all that happens is some students get drunk and don't do what they're told for a few hours well for like three days <laughs> To be fair, but it it is the most incredibly minuted frat party I've ever known. Um, So George Washington apparently famously drank eggnog that had rum in it Mm -hmm. and sherry and brandy and whiskey and just a dash of egg. egg. (laughs) But you weren't allowed to have alcohol if you were at West Point. Of course not. That would undermine military discipline. That feels... They've got guns. Don't give them alcohol. They don't mix, guys. They do not mix. Yes, this Christmas, put the guns down before you drink. So there'd been a concern that that drinking was getting out of hand, and even though there was prohibition, and so the cadets were informed there's going to be no alcohol in the eggnog, all right? It's all egg, no nog. Which made them think... (laughs) Well, well, that's that's not much of a beverage. Nuts to that. (laughs) So I love, my favourite bit in this whole story Mm. is that on the 22nd, they went to a tavern, some of the cadets, Martin's Mm -hmm. Tavern, and basically bought like a barrel of whiskey, thinking this will be good. And they had to like row it across the Hudson. (laughs) I mean, that's elaborate. That's not like popping down to the off licence and standing around outside going, mate, can you go go in and... (laughs) Yeah, get to WKD Blue. That's a serious commitment to getting drunk. I like the fact that the person, the authorities only knew it happened because, to begin with, they kept running up to the door of the person who was meant to be looking after them, knocking on the door and then running away. <laughs> Three times he said he opened his door only to find no one there. And that made him really cross. So then he started patrolling the ground. <sighs> Mad. And he so, told them to go to stop drinking and go to bed. At one point, they all said, yes, yes, we definitely will do that. I mean, the trouble is you're training these people up in terms of militaristic planning. You know, big manoeuvres and stuff. They managed to get half a gallon of whiskey from Martin's Tavern, Mm. and then they got a gallon of rum from Benny's Tavern (laughs) to the North Barracks Room. Hotel Martin. Number five, (laughs) yeah. And then it just kicked off, didn't it? Yes, at around five o'clock, Hitchcock, who's the man who's meant to be telling them all off, found another one of them lying drunk in a stairwell, (laughs) (laughs) took him back to bed, um, 
But then, whilst he was in that room, several cadets attacked the door, one drawing his pistol and firing a shot into the room. Hitchcock opened the door and yelled at the cadets to stop. He then began arresting them. Wow. After which it just seems to have spiralled. Yeah. To the point where the next morning, they, when they had the Reveille, no trumpets, yes. happening, half of the cadets came out for Reveille. The other half were just lying around drunk shouting, I'm not coming out! This is awful! <laughs> <laughs> Reveille sounded at 6.05, along with gunfire, the sound of glass breaking, <laughs> profanity from cadets, cries of pain and threats to academy officials. I sort of want to try to recreate that soundscape, <laughs> yeah, you know? Shall I do that? Yeah. I'll try and what do bits that. do you need? <laughs> Some profanities. Yeah. Resolved. I think they just ran out of. They just drink. ran out of drink. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> that much, really. Like two and a half gallons is not. No. I could do that. I could do that in a night. <laughs> um, bother me. Some refused to come to Reveille, remaining in their rooms drinking. Although some appeared in parade formation despite being clearly drunk. I kind of love the commitment to it. Yeah. You know, to seek your own oblivion and annihilation like that. I admire that. Among the cadets was the future President of the Confederate States of America, Jefferson Davis. Yes, who famously went on to invent the aeroplane. Did he? <laughs> Let's have some birthdays. Happy birthday, Happy birthday to... Facially bewarded thrash bassist Lemmy! Trying of your best. Also, happy birthday to Howard Hughes, who became increasingly eccentric. He was a multimillionaire. I don't think he was a billionaire, I don't think billionaires existed in the 40s and 50s. Uh, an aviation enthusiast. He had his own studio at one point. Um, he then became very hygienic. He refused to wash, so he grew his fingernails out, kept his feet in cardboard boxes, uh, grew all his hair out, and got increasingly eccentric as his life progressed. That's Howard Hughes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday also to Stephanie Meyer, who wrote the Twilight series. Happy death day to Adolphe Darchiac, who was a geologist, but he hurled himself into the Seine on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. That's a bit sad. It is a bit sad. I, was, I mean, presumably at that point you've seen the shape of the presents under the tree and gone, oh, those all look rubbish. <laughs> Tennis racket. Uh, into la Seine avec moi. Bloop. Splush. Also, happy death day to Peo, who created Les Strumpf. Ah, yes. And... It was sort of the first equivalent of bleeping, wasn't it, really? Was it? It's like, I'm going to smurf your smurfing head in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you smurfer, smurf smurfer. Off. That's him. That's all he did. It's not all he did. He did lots it's of pretty much all he did, though. Also, happy birthday to Jake Thackeray. How would you describe Jake Thackeray? I'd describe him as a, 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 a folksy, jazzy troubadour. Yeah, he's a, he's, I'm a big fan. Yes. It's hard not to be a fan of Jake Thackeray. Of course, Lardy Dar was his biggest hit. On and On is probably his best, but, you know, not appropriate for today's audiences. I d yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is not, yeah, not, really, really. not really okay anymore. But Ulysses is a very sweet mm -hmm. uh, song about a dog. 
called Ulysses. Yes. Sister Josephine's nice. Yes. And Jumble Sale. I do actually love the music of. It's jazzy and fun. <laughs> there we go. So that's some recommendations for your Jake Thackeray listening this afternoon. Oh, it's quite a Christmassy thing, I think. Yeah. Almost all of his records sound like they were recorded in my uncle and auntie's music room <laughs> in their house when I was a kid. So, yeah, it is very Christmas. And we used to go there for Christmas. So, yeah, it's Christmas. Happy Dead, them. Bye, Deads. I mean, dying on Christmas Eve, that's got to suck, doesn't it? It is, because you've done all the work and you get none yeah. of the dividend. Presumably you have bought all the presents. Or maybe you haven't, maybe that's why you did. Maybe these are all people who died before the advent mm. of 24-hour garages. Yeah. So, so they were like, it was like no didn't get anything like, and it's five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. High-maintenance partners. Splosh. Let's go to 1865 and the founding of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, dude! <laughs> <laughs> you Christmassy smurf. Yeah, I, let's, I don't even really want to talk about it. <laughs> Come on, let's do it. So, six Confederate veterans from Pulaski, Tennessee, created the original Ku Klux Klan on December the 24th, 1865, so that they could try and enforce the white supremacy which they had recently lost. During the Civil War. I mean, they hadn't lost it. Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, Society was pretty much (laughs) structured exactly as it had been before, but they could no longer actually have slaves. The name was named after the Greek for circle, Kuklos. I didn't know know that. Probably because they all held hands. (laughs) They danced round the burning cross. Yeah. It was one of a number of secret oath-bound organisations that used violence, which included the Southern Cross in New Orleans and the Knights of White Camellia in Louisiana. Wonderful just people. The Tennessee version. Um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, who had been a general in the Confederate armies, was elected the first Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, um, which is, um, I think, more of a title than they deserve, considering that they're mainly just people who can own a truck and have a feel that they can set fire to things in. That's the only real qualification for being a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And certainly Grand Wizard. You've got to have a feel which people can meet in and burn stuff in. I do think we need to have a conversation about how we raise boys. Yes. <laughs> and let them dress up, okay? Just let them dress up, because they obviously want to. Yeah. I'm a grand wizard. Yeah, Are you? Yeah. Of what? Go. Racism! <laughs> no, yeah. you're a grand wizard of something else. Yeah, yeah. What about Harry Potter? Do you like Harry Potter? No. Not racist enough. No. Let them dress up. And also, just let them feel comfortable about maybe the fact that they're on a... A spectrum of sexuality rather than mm. a, a polar field. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right, well, look, mine's jollier. Let's go to yours. We're not competing, just, but let's yeah. let's see if we can just make it feel Christmassy again. Bring them back. 1818. Mm-hmm. And it is the first performance ever of Silent Night. Oh. Composed by Franz Xaver Grube. Stille Nacht. Two lyrics by Josef Murr. Uh, they weren't big-time composers at all. It was a tiny little town called Obendorf by Salzburg mm. in Österreich. Österreich. And they just sort of wrote it. Moore was a priest. He'd mm-hmm. been there for about a year. He wrote the lyrics. And Gruber was a schoolmaster, an organist in the nearby... Come on. In the nearby village of Arnsdorf. Unbelievable. So Moore brought the words to Gruber and said, Could you compose a melody and guitar accompaniment for the Christmas Eve Mass? 
because the river floods as soon now have damaged the organ. <laughs> In, come on. The church was eventually destroyed by repeated flooding. It was not that silent a night. It was the deafening roar of flood water. Yeah. But it's now been replaced with the Silent Night Chapel. Nobody knows why he wrote it or what he was thinking, but my goodness, it was popular. Within a year, I think, it had travelled to bigger cities Mm -hmm. and I think by then had been heard by the king. What? I mean, there's not much opportunity to play Silent Night except at Christmas. Yeah, everyone's like, you've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. That's essentially day three of its existence. It's been declared an intangible cultural heritage by UNESCO. So what does that mean? I'm not allowed to build on it. That was in 2011. And the version of it sung by Bing Crosby, Mm. the founder of the world's second largest search engine, Mm -hmm. in 1935, is the fourth best-selling single of all time. Mm. It is a monumental whopper of a song. Yeah. You can bang on about In the Bleak Midwinter and how much you love it. Or Fairy Tale yeah, of New York and how much right. you used to love it before we all realised this year. Only this year that it's probably not okay anymore. But Silent Night, it's the big one. And well it does come from the most Christmassy place on earth as well. Yeah. Are you going there? I am going there for Christmas. I am so jealous. Is there anywhere anywhere Christmassier? Lapland. Lapland. They do a lot of Christmas. They don't have the any, North they don't Pole. Have any, they don't have any carols from Lapland though. Jerusalem. Bethlehem. Mate. I mean, yeah, Bethlehem. <laughs> Not true, so that's Eastery. Fine. <laughs> that's the most Eastery place. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> well, uh, that was a nice, peaceful, uh, all is calm and bright with us. Yes, thank you very much for listening. On Christmas Eve, when you've probably got other things to be doing. I think it's lovely. We will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, on, on Christmas Day. Yes. In case you need us then. We will have been, when you come rushing yes. down the stairs all excited, uh, we will have deposited something in there for you. Lovely. And it's going to be super Christmassy and fun. In fact, I've got a really exciting story about uh, a massive theft that happened on Christmas Day. Ooh, I have uh, something very interesting that happened in 1066. Cool. We will see you then, hopefully. And if we don't, have a wonderful have a Christmas. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm.